0: Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Let's give a round of applause for our worship team who have served us well today. So they showed up at 7.30 this morning to prep for our first service. They were throwing some big curveballs this morning and they came through it and served us really well. Give them another, just a beautiful round of applause. And by the way, If you haven't met Junior Padilla, Junior, it's good to have Junior with us playing today. We love you. And his girlfriend. We're honored to have you here. Melody, right? We're honored to have you here with us. Junior, when my wife and I first arrived to Nashville thinking we were going to plant a church up in Nashville, we started building that team. It was four years ago now. Junior was one of the very first people we met, and he was the first one to commit to being a part of that church planting team. So he's just a beautiful place in our hearts and is a brother, and his cousins, uh, we're a part of the church I served at in Pennsylvania and are now a part of a church, one of my uncle pastors in Florida. So we had all kinds of connections and met here in Nashville. Great to have you guys with us. Um, I wanna take a Christmas movie poll. Can we still celebrate Christmas a little bit? You guys cool with that? We're in the afterglow. So we were debating as a staff, do we leave? Let, oh, I'm gonna take this poll right now among our church. Our staff was debating, do we leave any Christmas decorations up for January 2nd? Um, by show of hands, who thinks you leave in church? I mean, who thinks we should leave some of our Christmas decorations up on next Sunday, January 2nd? Show me your hand. Good amount, good amount. Interesting, interesting. Okay, who thinks they should all be down by January 2nd because we're officially in the new year? A few, some passionate ones on that side. <laughs> I think the Christmas decorations have it, so we're a democracy when it comes to Christmas decorations. So maybe we'll, we'll leave them up. Although these poinsettias. They're gonna, they're getting kind of sad. They might be done by next week. Maybe the trees and some of the other stuff. All right, but we're gonna take a poll on your favorite Christmas movie. I'm only gonna give four options. You're gonna vote by applause. So, and if you're really passionate, you can give a Yelp, like what my wife does all the time. But let's vote by applause. I I understand I'm not listing all the Christmas movies, but out of these four, it'll be a fun poll. Number one, who thinks the best Christmas movie slash movies are the Home Alone movies? Ooh. We got some love. We got some home alone love. My wife yelled Kevin. I don't know if you noticed that. Number two, how about the classic It's a Wonderful Life? Pretty good. You can clap for more than one, by the way. We're not, an ex- we're not exclusive here. Number three, this one's a little risque, A Christmas Story. More love than first service. Zach was totally by himself in first service on A Christmas Story, and we said you need to repent. So, and then... Number four, Elf. Who thinks it's Elf? I think in this service, I'm not totally sure. I feel like Home Alone and Elf were tied, and then It's a Wonderful Life was next, and then Poor A Christmas Story was last in both services. But I absolutely love movies, Uh, Christmas movies, any movie. I'm a huge movie fan. And since my wife and I got to pastor in Los Angeles for eight years before we were here, we got to really be around the movie industry and the people that make the movies. We had a lot of people in our church that were directors or writers or actors. And an interesting fact that you just don't know unless you live in LA, we never knew it. At the end of movies, if you're at a theater in Los Angeles, almost no one leaves the theater until the credits are completely done for every movie, not just Marvel movies where you're waiting for like secret scenes. And the reason is it's out of reverence for those that have made the movie because they all live there and... Oftentimes, you'll be seeing a movie in Los Angeles, and when a certain name scrolls down, 18 people will stand up in one section and start cheering, because that person is in the theater, and they'll take a picture of their name on the screen real quick. And that is a unique thing about the culture there that no one else in the country is aware of that happens at the end of movies out of reverence. And then I have my own quirk about the beginning of movies, and I want to see if anybody's with me. I'm going to be a little preachy about this, but I'm just joking. I think that if you go to a movie theater and if you get snacks, popcorn, drink, M&M's, whatever you do, you should not have one sip or eat one snack until the movie is actually starting. And people like my wife, thank you, people like my wife, sinners, and others like her, sometimes eat their entire popcorn during the previews. I don't understand you people. (laughs) Let me explain my rationale. And obviously, I'm totally joking about this being serious at all. But I've really asked myself, because my whole family makes fun of me, including my my brother, my sister, my dad, my wife. All of them eat during the previews. And if I'm watching a movie with them, I don't touch it. I put my popcorn down. I don't even take a sip of my drink. And and they all make fun of me. But here's why. And you'll, you'll understand my logic. Here's why it's godly to do it this way. The beginnings of movies are so fun. I love the beginning of a movie. It's like the onset of a new adventure. It's such a great moment in life to start enjoying this new story. And when you save your treats and your drink, it turns that moment into even greater glory. Everything happens all at once. And when the movie's starting and you're tasting that buttery mix for the first time and your Coke or whatever and a peanut butter M&M, it is one of the great moments of life it is one of the great joys. Have you ever heard the phrase pleasure stacking? Pleasure stacking is when you take uh, some things that are really wonderful in life and you stack them all together and you do them at the same time to create this glorious moment. That's what it is to start a, mov- a movie and have not eaten anything till you start. Who's with me? Come on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's respond at the altar. <laughs> So, that's my own OCD craziness. I'm glad some of you guys are with me. Usually I'm quite alone in that passion. So, for a very corny segue, I wanna share a sermon called Endings and Beginnings. (laughs) That's what that whole opening was about. How do we end a year? That's what we're doing right now. And how do we begin a year? I think it's important to do those things well. And one of the most important guiding principles for us as fathers of Jesus, helps us in thinking about this. And it transforms how we end things and how we begin things. And this is my prayer for all of us as we end 2021 and think about starting 2022. First out of Jesus' teaching about prayer, just one line out of the Lord's prayer, he says, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then later in the same book, in his teaching about worry, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well." The all these things he's talking about are the needs of life, you know, food, clothing, shelter, and Jesus was talking about how these things can start causing us worry, and we chase after these things, but he said, no, 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 the only thing you need to seek is his kingdom, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness. So these are both centered around this idea of the kingdom of God, and number one in your notes is an an essential guiding principle for followers of Jesus, is seeking first his kingdom. There is no better way to end a year with reflection and begin a year with planning than around the idea of how we are seeking first his kingdom. Because part of ending well is remembering well. A great teacher said, you don't learn from your mistakes, you learn from the mistakes that you reflect on. A lot of times we just blow through year after year after year and we don't stop to reflect and think. And what I want to encourage you to do, perhaps even right here this morning, is reflect on 2021, actually think about it, and in this context, when was it that I really sought first his kingdom, and what did that result in in my life? And when was it that I really didn't seek first his kingdom, and what did that result in in my life? That's called learning from mistakes. And then... Same thing for our planning. When we think about going into a new year, part of beginning well is planning well. Planning is a chance to pre-decide. So before we even get into it, let's ask ourselves, how will I seek first his kingdom in 2022? And how do I expect that to go? And maybe what are the areas where I expect to be challenged around this idea? And before we can really talk about this more, we have to define what the kingdom of God is to even understand these commands. And I find in my pastoral work in in the West particularly, and in kind of the evangelical church of the West that a lot of us here are accustomed to, we don't hear a lot of teaching around the kingdom of God. Yet the kingdom of God is one of the central messages of the entire Bible. Arguably, it is the central message of the Bible is the proclaiming, the announcement of God's kingdom. Yet most of us would be hard pressed to even define what is the kingdom of God? And if we don't have a sense of what it is biblically, we won't really understand what it is to pray, Your kingdom come. And we won't understand what it is to seek first His kingdom. Like, okay, great, Pastor Nathan, but how do I seek first His kingdom? So let's define what the kingdom of God is and start with a couple quotes. Colson said it this way The wonderful news of the coming kingdom of God is the heart and core of Jesus Christ's message for humanity. Do you remember the very first thing Jesus preached was, Repent for what? The kingdom of heaven is near. This is the message. Another quote I'm going to read, it won't be on screen. For all of Jesus' repeated mention of the kingdom of God, he never paused once to define it. Nor did any hearer ever interrupt to ask, Master, what do these words, kingdom of God, which you use so often mean? On the contrary, Jesus used the term as if assured it would be understood. And indeed it was. The kingdom of God lay within the vocabulary of every Jew. It was something they understood and longed for desperately. To us, on the contrary, it is a strange term, and it is necessary that we give it consideration if we are to comprehend it. We must ask where that notion came from and what it meant to Jesus and those to whom he spoke. In the Old Testament, the Jews' hearts were oriented around the hopeful announcement of the kingdom through the promised Messiah who would accomplish this. But for us, in our modern culture of the West, the concept of kingdom is foreign. Like We don't live in a kingdom. We live in a democracy. And for the majority of us that are born and raised in America, that's all we know. And did you know that the word gospel just means good news? And when when, when we use the word gospel and good news in church, we're talking about the message of Jesus, the message of Christmas. But All other kinds of schools of thought have gospels too. They have have things that they try to um, proclaim as the good news. The question is, what good news really works? And the good news of America is the American dream. That's the gospel of America. And I'm not commenting on whether that's really great or not really great. I'm just saying that is the message we proclaim and are often raised in in America. And the way that that affects us is it teaches us something called radical individualism. So we're not a part of a kingdom and a people. No, we are a part of seeking our own American dream. We are a democracy. We're used to having a vote. And it's kind of turned into this very Kind of loosey-goosey authority. So relative morality, relative authority. You guys know this, but now in our culture, even truth is movable, right? Everyone can have their own truth. And so when we talk about kingdom and authority in the language of scripture, it is a giant disconnect from what we know as the reality of life, which, was, which what makes it really important to really consider and talk about. And so here's a few definitions. In Hebrew, the word for kingdom is Malku which means royalty, reign, kingly authority. And in Greek, the word for kingdom is basileia, which means royal power, kingship, dominion, rule, the right or authority to rule over a kingdom. So number two in your notes, the kingdom of God is wherever the authority of God is established. It is wherever Jesus is king. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying your authority be established. And when we are challenged to seek first his kingdom, we are challenged to seek first his authority, his rule, his reign. And what's interesting about this is you might think, oh, everywhere is the kingdom of God because he's God. He has dominion over everything. And in a theological sense, we believe that. He's sovereign over all, but he chose in perfect wisdom to create us with our own free will and our own authority, unless you're living under his authority. That's what scripture teaches us. And so the question here is this, number three, is the authority of God established in me? Excuse me. Is the authority of God established in me? I try to pray every morning, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. In my life, in my family's life, in our church. This is the Lord's church. It's not my church, it's not your church. We get to be a part of it. Can you imagine, and some churches do this, and that's where you get just giant messes. But can you imagine if we tried to govern this church based on what everybody wanted, and our own will, and all of our own preferences? It'd be really hard because our preferences vary as much as the unique, uniqueness of our lives. But the church is not about that, it's about his will being done, Is his kingdom coming. It's not about my preferences here, it's about the will and authority of God. Now, I need to clarify here. Many in our culture are very disillusioned about the word authority, and rightly so in many cases. Many have been abused by authorities that should have been trustworthy, including in the church, or maybe parents, or maybe teachers. Horrific stories constantly. And now, in the age of social media and everything traveling so quickly, we hear of these abuse cases constantly. So we have a steady diet of mistrusting authority. And, and let me just note here, I'm so thankful that our culture has moved towards victims being able to have a voice where things can actually change, where where justice can, can be, even if justice isn't fully done, at least you can see, wow, this was wrongdoing. And at times people need to be removed from places of power because of the abuse of authority. That's all very real, I'm thankful for that progress. It obviously can also go totally overboard where every single person in any kind of authority is nothing but a target and evil right away, that's when it goes overboard. So all that is nuanced, it's impossible to talk about simply but it's happening in our culture. But what I wanna really address is this, we can't allow ourselves to so mistrust all authority that we miss the blessing of embracing the authority of God. Because the authority of God, and this is number four, when his authority is established, all things flourish. Like think about what the text actually says. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what does that text connect with God's kingdom coming, God's authority being established? Heaven. What is heaven like? The full realization of the establishment of God's authority his rule and his reign. And we don't just wait for that, we get a taste of it now. And so as you think about your past year, I bet you every time you really embraced God's authority in your life, you really you really followed through with that difficult obedience of forgiving someone or asking for forgiveness, or you, you, you fill in the blank, your life started to flourish a little bit more. You had a little bit more of a glimpse of heaven in your own heart and mind. By way of example, scripture tells us, we're commanded, do not covet. Do not be jealous of what your neighbor has. Do not look at someone else and long for their life to be your life. And in one sense, that is restrictive. You know, God says, don't do that. But the heart of God behind that is actually expansive because he wants you not to destroy yourself by always comparing yourself to others. He wants you to be grateful for who he made you and what he has given you in your life. And it's that principle, don't let what you don't have stop you from being thankful for what you do have. So where the authority of God is restrictive, the heart of it is expansive. I grew up in the arts community as a visual artist and then as a musician. And so God allowed me to experience this like as young as sixth grade, I started going to special art schools. And in these art schools, the gospel of the art school is the casting off of all restraint. So the antithesis of embracing authority. The art school tries to say, you can't reach your creative potential if you buy into any of these phony constructs of man. There is no authority. You must let yourself be free and then you will reach creative potential. That's a false gospel. It's not true. Look at the state of most artists in our world, living very challenging lives. And I, when I came to know Jesus, ended up back in the arts community. This is still part of what I do with all the creatives here. And I try to teach this, what scripture actually says. No, you were created by the ultimate artist, the creator, and you were created to be creative, yes, but you will not reach your creative potential by ignoring the authority of God. You will reach your creative potential by embracing the authority of God. And it doesn't take away your uniqueness. Artists will worry things like, I don't want to lose who I am. God doesn't wanna make you a robot. You won't become who you're fully meant to be apart from his authority, is the idea. And one of my favorite quotes is that the authority of God is only as restrictive as wings on a plane. If you want to fly, you must embrace the authority of the law of flight. There must be more lift than drag, or else you will not fly. So it goes with the authority of God. So this is something to be embraced. And what it looks like, what the kingdom of God and the authority of God looks like is anytime someone meets Jesus and is born again. I hope hope you've had the experience of seeing that. Maybe you've experienced it in your own life. When that happens, the authority of God has been established and the kingdom is breaking into the earth. When you see a person forgiven and then able to forgive others miraculously, that's the authority of God being established and the kingdom of God breaking into the earth. When you see a person healed, whether it's emotionally or physically, authority of God being established kingdom of God breaking into the earth. When you see someone in difficult circumstances have unstoppable joy, that's the authority of God being established and the kingdom of God breaking into the earth. When you see someone walking in, in the blessing that God created for them for, when you see someone functioning with counterintuitive principles financially and living generous lives, even when they barely have enough, but God blessing them, kingdom of God, authority of God. When you see a people loving one another through every difference imaginable, which we need to do right now as the church. We must, we must be united as a church beyond and through political boundaries. We must be united as a church beyond and through cultural differences. We must come together around the higher allegiance of Christ, naming the one true name, and that is the authority of God being established on the earth, the kingdom of God. Are you tracking with me? This is what it looks like. So the practical how on this, I'm gonna give you just a few prayers that you can pray. Number five, start with this. Lord, establish your authority in my thoughts. When Jesus first proclaimed that message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, he's saying my authority is near, the kingdom's gonna be established. And the way you start to become a part of that is repent, which means change the way you think and start going the other direction. It all starts in our thoughts. So what happens here is when we come under his authority, when we embrace it, he then calls us to live with his authority, to walk in his authority. It's like what we know as parents and grandparents. You don't wanna raise your kids to be robots that, just, that can only do whatever you tell them to do. You wanna raise your kids to be people that understand life and can make wise decisions. We get that from the heart of God because that's his desire for us. So he wants you to come under his authority, but then he wants you to walk in his authority, make decisions in his authority. He has not created us to be robots. He has created us to also make decisions. And the way we think and what we allow to dominate our thoughts, guess what? Up to you, up to me. We can't allow his authority to, his authority will never be established in our thoughts unless we take authority of our thoughts. Are you shacking with me on this? We have a role to play. And there's this quote that I love. When, When a room in your house goes dark, you don't call the electric company and ask them to turn on the lights. You turn them on yourself. Electric companies supply the power, but it's up to you to flip the light switch and put that power to use. Similarly, I believe the number one reason that Christians aren't walking in the flourishing life he's called them to, is that people are asking God to do something that he's given us the power to do. And asking God to do things he told us to do isn't going to bring the right answers. Christians generally don't understand the authority God has given them. The average person is approaching God as if they have no power or authority at all. People often are focused on their need and they feel they were powerless to have anything to do with changing their situation. Yet believers are anything but powerless. Without Jesus, we can do nothing, but he said he would never leave or forsake us, so we are never without him. The power that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling in us. Watching a dog run in circles, chasing its own tail can be funny. Round and round, the puppy will go trying to catch something it already has. Unfortunately, this can also be the picture of us as Christians chasing after something we already have. And we sometimes think, what is it that I already have? Based on scripture, he says, we already have everything we need. In fact, God has met all our needs before we encountered them. Before we were even born, God has provided everything we need, and it starts in our thoughts. Now, I'm not saying you're not gonna run into situations where you just need miraculous provision and God to show up. The point is, he has set that up ahead of time. So we don't need to hit that and then just like freak out and panic. We take authority in our thoughts. We trust him and what he says. Isn't it a beautiful illustration and kind of a sad illustration to think about us going into life like a dark room? Wow, it's so dark in here, so much darkness. Lord, I wish there'd be some light. And he's like, flick on the switch. Like, the electric company is the power source, but we must flick on the switch in our own thoughts. To help with this, I use declarations in my own life just reminding me of the truth of Scripture. I've shared uh, these before a couple years ago, but I'm gonna read through them. I am a child of the King, and I know Him. My name is securely written in heaven by the mercy and grace of God through Christ. I will be fruitful beyond what I imagine as I remain in Christ. And let me pause on this one for a second just to explain how these things can be profound. So this one for me really helps me frame how I live. It's helped transform one of the weak areas of my life because the, the, the child version of Nathan and even the young adult version, it's still in me to a degree, had this thinking, I am going to make my life work. I'm gonna force my life to be fruitful. I'm going to achieve, I'm going to accomplish, and it doesn't matter how hard I have to work to make that happen, I'm gonna get there. And I learned quickly in my 20s that that's a quick way to kill your own soul. It's a quick way to get very discouraged about about your life. It's a quick way to end up burnt out and disillusioned. And eventually you learn the biblical model which in John 15, Jesus teaches us, when you abide in him, you will be fruitful with fruit that lasts. In other words, your life will be effective as you remain in Christ, but it's up to him what that effectiveness is. And so this declaration reminds me, yeah, I don't know what the fruitfulness of my life is exactly gonna be, but it's not up to me, it's up to him. I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna hopefully have not selfish ambition, but holy ambition, but ultimately I'm saying, I will be fruitful beyond what I imagine. In other words, it might look different than I want it to look. It's gonna be greater than I can even think and it's gonna happen as I remain in Christ. Are you tracking with me? That's why these declarations can be powerful in in calling you back to the authority of God. God will guide my steps, whispering to me to go this way or that way. I will not make fear-based decisions and I will fan into flame the gift of God that he has given me empowered by grace. I am and will be a blessing to be a blessing to all nations. My loved ones will flourish in every way as God intended them to and will have hearts that pursue Jesus and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Goodness and mercy will follow me and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am set free and I will learn to walk in that freedom. My mind is being renewed and will be fully renewed. I am sent to this place in this time with these people and am fully equipped to fulfill my assignment. That's a powerful one right there. If you tell yourself that every morning and you remind yourself of the truth of scripture and walk in it, it starts to change your life. My trust is in the Lord, and he is my provider for all things. I will overcome every challenge and reframe them as opportunities for God to do miracles, on and on. And so that's the first prayer, establish your authority in my thoughts. And then number six, Lord, establish your authority in my actions. It starts inside, and then it bears fruit externally. Remember the text says, your kingdom come and your will be done. So the tangible The tangible fruit or the tangible result of his kingdom coming is his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And let's just say the prayer like this, in my heart as it is in heaven. Lord, establish your authority in my family as it is in heaven. Establish it in my church as it is in heaven, among my friends as it is in heaven. Establish your kingdom in my workplace, as far as it depends on me, as it is in heaven establish it in my neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, and ultimately on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the closing prayer. Lord, help me to end 2021 and begin 2022 with the earnest prayer in, and you got to write your name in there, in for me, Nathan, as it is in heaven. And let me just share this closing thought before the worship team comes. Look at me for a second, because this is really important going into 2020 with the goal to embrace his authority, I can tell you what's gonna happen on day one, you're going to fail. Let me just be really clear. You know why? Because you're still a sinful fallen being, yes, redeemed in Christ, but on this side of heaven, we we don't get perfect holiness fully realized in our actions. And I'm not saying you're gonna mess up big time, but something's gonna happen. You know, you're know you gonna let some thought really get in there that you know is just terrible for you and displeasing to God and you're gonna give it too much authority in your thoughts or you're gonna, you're gonna um, get overly frustrated and in, in your anger, sin. And the reason this is important to say is because when you fail and you will, when I fail and I will, part of staying on the journey is saying, wait a second, let me come back to embracing his authority again, right in my thoughts, which says, wait a second, I'm not gonna wallow here in failure. The gospel says, which I receive, the gospel says, still I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Forgive me, Lord, where I fall short. I'm going to continue in your way everlasting. You tracking with me? Because it can be, you can be deceived into thinking that a message like this is about keeping rules. You can think it's that the 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 the, the gospel of Christ is about keeping rules. Or you can think that in order to be blessed, you've got to get the whole list right. Nope, nope. You will get the list wrong, but you need to keep returning to the truth, starting in your thoughts and letting it be in your actions. It's just like the GPS. When you turn off your route, that little woman or man or whatever ethnicity you have in there, not ethnicity, culture. My dad now has an Australian man speaking to him all the time, telling him where to go, I don't know why. You know, you know what I'm talking about, How you can pick voices. When you go off route, it immediately starts saying what? Redirecting, redirecting. And that's what the grace of God is. You will go off route, but you will immediately have an option to redirect and get back to where his authority is established, right? This is what, the, the, the life in Christ looks like this. Redirect, redirect, <laughs> redirect, redirect. Another word for repent, repent. Bring it back to the Lord's way. Let me have the team come up. Last night, in the middle of the night, I woke up to a crying kid for a little while and then I lied awake in my bed and then I had a dream that felt like a vision and I felt like it was for today. So I'm gonna share it in our closing. No light shone into my room. It wasn't like I was transported. But while I was lying there half asleep, wishing I could fall asleep, I just sensed God's presence, and I saw this, and I felt like it was for today. And what it was, was thinking about a vision for life, wanting to make forward motion, kind of on the path of life, going into a new chapter, except everything just looked like a giant cloud of confusion. It looked like a giant mess, no way forward, no clarity, no potential path to even sort it out, a very frustrating place to find yourself, kind of standing on the precipice, but not knowing how to proceed. And of course, we've all, at times, found ourselves in moments like that in life, and some of us might be there right now. And maybe you're not there in every part of your life, but in some area of your life, it's like a big cloud, and you just have no idea how to proceed and then in this dream, God reminded me of this message and what it is to say your kingdom come and to embrace his authority in the right here and the right now and he reminded me that he's always given some way for us to obey him right here and right now. And if you don't know what that is, think about your last area of disobedience and bring that into obedience, right? You don't even necessarily have to hear anything new from God Go to the scripture and you're gonna see stuff in there that God is gonna stir in your heart to obey him in, to embrace his authority. Forget the big cloud out there, focus on what's right here, and then as you do that, and here's the miracle of following Jesus. As you begin to embrace that authority, all this big jumbly mess that we don't understand begins to supernaturally align in ways that we couldn't make it align anyway, and you start to have a path forward, even though you might not see more than one step at a time, which is the biblical model. He says, your, your lamp is a light unto my feet, and when you hold lamps in the darkness, how many steps do you see? Like three. You don't see a 100, and here's why this is so helpful practically. You can let go of feeling like you need to know everything about next year or the next 10 years or the next 50 because it's impossible. And you can say, wait a second, what are you saying to me right now, Lord? And it's in embracing the authority in this right now and in the next right now and in the next right now that gets you exactly where God has called you to be. It might not be where you thought you were gonna be, but will be where he wants you to be and i don't know about you but that's what i want less of me more of you lord less of my vision more of your vision and i can tell you personally one of these things for me ever since i've been married and really our first few years of marriage god just started grinding this in me i'll tend to seek especially 15 years ago and 14 years ago when we were first married i would tend to seek the lord about just the grand vision and God, how are we gonna do this? How have you called me to, to participate in this? And God's always just like, calm down, little boy. Like, you know, like, calm down, serve your wife. For me, that's one of the things God always tells me. And I'm saying this in front of my wife. She knows how, I don't know what she would grade me at, but it's definitely not a 100, let me put it that way. Maybe it's a C, I don't know. What do you think? No, I'm not gonna ask, I'm not gonna ask. <laughs> we'll talk later. <laughs> they don't wanna force you to lie in front of the church. I can tell you this, I've grown in it. I've grown. It's the process of getting more and more like Christ. But in serving my wife, and then of course my kids, we have four wonderful kids, the hardest assignment in my life, and God's like, in doing that, Nathan, then I'll I'll make your life fruitful in the way I want it to be fruitful. I'll take care of all of it. And I don't know what that is for you, but God's gonna bring things to your heart and you can rest today by embracing his authority. You know when he says, Jesus says, come after me, you who are burdened, weary, tired. Take my yoke upon you, for mine is easy. My burden is light. You know why that is? Because when you come under his authority, his yoke, he is now carrying responsibility. The weight is on him. It's not on you. You can just say yes in the moment. Don't you guys, do you feel that beautiful rest as we talk about it? That 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 open door for us. But we have to live within the tension of not knowing where we're going. And that's okay. We don't know the end result. So, Lord, we ask for you to help us with this. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the invitation to follow you, Jesus. We thank you for this great salvation, for the message of Christmas. What a gift. Right in the middle of our mess, the Savior comes. The Savior is born. You change everything in our world, Lord. And now as we, and let me not assume, if anyone here just needs to receive Christ as Savior, say yes in your heart right now, if you want to. He is inviting you. Say yes, I wanna know you, Lord. I wanna follow you. Forgive me for my sins. I accept this gift of salvation through what you have done for me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And then for those of us that are in Christ, may we be reminded our response to this free gift of salvation is to continue to live more in the reality of the kingdom. Not under condemnation, but the kingdom. God, we say yes to the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. We say yes, we wanna seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And we, we declare we will trust you for how everything else in our life works out in Jesus' name. Church, as we sing this beautiful hymn, Let's make it our prayer. Be thou my vision. Then I'll come and close us in prayer. Lord, we stand before you with uh, hands, palm up, surrender. Hearts laid before you, burdens laid before you. And we, we make this our prayer. God, we lay down our vision and we say, help us embrace your vision. May you be our very vision for our life, for our loved ones, for our work, for our family. Transform how we see, God. May we not run into another year recklessly, but may we run into it intentionally with our knees bowed before the throne of God, the one whom we serve, the one whom we love and worship and adore and trust in, the one who fills our hearts right now, the one who promises a guaranteed future of life, flourishing, promise. We wanna go your way, Lord. That's our declaration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm gonna pray this benediction. So honored that you guys were here with us today, our last Sunday of the year. Crazy. People are always not sure whether to clap about that because they're like, am I happy? Great, no more Sundays this year. Or what are we clapping for? I confuse people when I do that one, but it's okay. Spattered applause. I always just think it's significant. Uh, It's our last time gathered as a church for this entire year. And when we do it again, we'll be in a new year. Who got to be here for Christmas Eve? Wasn't that fun? We've never put that many people in this room at one time. So it was a good experiment on on what that looks like and what our options are as we grow. Um, Let me pray this benediction will be dismissed. Go out into the world in peace and be of good courage. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Happy New Year, everybody. Love you very much.